0: Uh, good morning, Harvest. It is uh, it is such a blessing to be here. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you meet me in John chapter 18? Um, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, it is about 80, 90 percent of the way through. And uh, as you're turning there, um, it's such a blessing to be here. I love this church. Um, I love what God is doing here. Uh, this is my amazing wife, Ashley. Uh, as Kenan said, we have four boys, ages 8, 10, 12, 14. A lot of mud and blood and sticks and wrestling and football and holes through drywall. And she deserves combat pay. Uh, you know, it's just amazing wife, amazing family. I do pastor a church uh, near Cincinnati. And as Kenan said, uh, kind of a, the goal of what God has called us to is this amazing calling of lifting up the sea in the YMCA. Um, I'm not sure if you're that familiar with the YMCA, but it has kind of become a global gym and swim, so to speak. But the original purpose was that it would be a disciple-making, Christ-exalting movement that would lift high Jesus all over the cities. And we are, we're planting churches all over the world. So would you pray for us in that, that, that the sea would be renewed and the name of Jesus would be just proclaimed all over the world? That's what we're going for. Uh, But because of that, I want to say this uh, right out of the gates, I get to hang out with a lot of pastors and church plant teams and elder boards, and um, I get to see the health of a lot of churches. And I want to tell you something. um, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of churches, and I don't know if I have ever seen... um, Sort of, I don't even know how to verbalize this. God's gifting of the amazing amount of leaders and talented people, and uh, just gifts as I see in one church, like Harvest. When I when I see guys like Steve and Kim, and yeah, and just David, Libby, and JB, and all, all these, I'm just like, God has a story for this place, and I'm so thankful that you get to be a part of this story. And and I've said this publicly many times, but I believe with all my heart. And let me say this. God's hand is on your life, and He's using you, and you're an awesome pastor, and I'm proud of you, and I love you. And for years and years, I've tried to figure out ways to hire you and bring you to Cincinnati, but I think I'd get shot on my way out of Memphis. So I'm gonna, we'll just leave you here and let God use you, um, and harvest. Let me look at you in the eyes and tell you: Do not sit on the sideline at this church. Don't just fill a chair, hear cool sermons, sing some songs, get sort of your God buzz on and come back next week and do the same thing. You be a part of a church. You go make disciples and and reach those who are far from God and lift up hearts and souls in holy worship to the King. And he's going to write a story that's going to live forever here. But you be a church, okay? You be a church of Christ. And you're going to be a part of a story that you will never forget. Stand with me. John chapter 18, let me look you in the eyes and tell you that I love what I'm about to teach you. And God has used these verses uh, to light up my heart with a deeper love for him. Let me me just preview this for a second, okay? It's going to be a simple story. Two groups of people are going to take a walk to a garden. They're going to chain Jesus and take him away, end of story. And yet there is a detail in this story that has caused me to say, I love Jesus, I will follow him to the end of my life because something happens in this story that I guarantee you that every single person in this story, their lives would have never, ever been the same. Something's going to happen in a garden a couple thousand years ago that alters lives, all right? And I'd love to read it to you. John 18, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered This was to fill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? The word of God for the people of God and all God's people said, praise be to God. Can we pray? Oh, God of the universe. uh, we come here now, and there's not a person in this room that just needs to hear a cool Bible talk from me. But we're desperate to meet with you, God. And I ask that you would do that thing which only you can do, which is, which is to open us up and let me fade and let your glory shine through and take your divine words and infuse them with my inadequate human words in such a way that we would hear from you, God. I pray not, not for more of you, but for less of us, Lord. And I pray that when we leave this church today, that our hearts would be lit up with a greater love for you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to talk about an awesome miracle. Uh, incidentally, it's a miracle that many people miss, all right? It's not in any of the kids' Bibles that I know of, um, Nobody did a veggie tale on this one, I don't think. Um, even most of the Jesus movies kind of miss this story. But yet, like I said at the beginning, uh, something happened in the garden and there was nobody there whose lives were the same. So we're going to begin with two people, two groups of people, sorry, taking a walk to a garden. So John 18, 1 through 3. Let's go. John 18, 1 through 3. three let me read it to us. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Okay, so so Jesus and the disciples are simply going to take a walk to a garden, okay? But if we are to dive a little deeper into this text, I think what we would see is that this was an emotional walk to the garden. And uh, let me kind of go history channel for a second, all right? I need to recreate some Jerusalem geography and kind of tear into some ancient historical stuff. But I think you're going to see a a pretty incredible point, okay? So uh, Jerusalem, centerpiece of Jerusalem was the temple. And on the backside of the temple, it kind of sloped down into the Kidron Valley, and then the Kidron Valley kind of sloped back up to the Mount of Olives, all right? It was about a 15-minute hike, from the temple to the Mount of Olives. And the Kidron Valley was a stream that was a dry stream. Okay, all throughout the year it was dry. You could cross over it because it was dry. It was dry every week of the year, except one week. Except Passover week. Hold that thought. Um, during Passover week, uh, every righteous Jew within a, a large radius was required to make the trip to Jerusalem. And each family would come to Jerusalem, and the city of Jerusalem was packed out with people and with lambs, okay? Because every family would bring a lamb, and if you're, if you're not that familiar with the faith and the Bible, this is going to sound a little strange, but hang with me, okay? Each family would bring a lamb, and a perfect lamb would be sacrificed at the temple as a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. And God would look upon that lamb and say, I take the penalty for your sin onto that lamb. I count the death of that lamb as a substitutionary atonement for your sins. You get my righteous forgiveness. He took your death, okay? A million people packed out Jerusalem bringing a bunch of lambs. In fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says there were 565,000 lambs in Jerusalem that day. Also look back, by the way, to the Exodus. Some of you know the story. But in the Exodus, when God told Moses to tell the people, listen, each family needs to take a perfect lamb, take the blood of that lamb, smear it on the doorway, and when the angel of death sees the blood of a perfect lamb on the doorway, death will pass over, my people will be released from bondage into freedom, into a journey towards the promised land. By the way, that's still your story. That's still your story. Um, but this symbolically looked back and it symbolically sort of represented sin and it symbolically even looked forward to the day when God would send the rescuer, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. Okay? Now, if you're tracking with me, I need to ask a very disgusting, gross question. Here we go. Ready? 565,000 lambs all dying in a temple. What do you do with all the blood? Okay. Well, on Passover week, they hooked up this little aqueduct system where the blood of the lamb would flow down backside of the temple into the Kidron Valley. And for that week and that week alone, there was a river of lamb's blood flowing through Kidron. Jesus and his disciples crossed over the brook Kidron and went to a garden. I don't know what emotions were going through the heart and mind of Jesus, but I'd like to think that as Jesus was crossing over a river of lamb's blood, what thought passed his mind was tomorrow night, there will be no more need for this river. Because I'm the lamb of God. I'm the rescuer. And I will be spiked to a Roman cross. And I will bleed and die. And me, the perfect lamb of God, will shed my blood for the sins of the world. Thousands of years, millions of lambs pointing forward to the moment where Jesus would finally say, it is finished, I'm done. The blood has been shed, no more need for this river. Amen? And then, it was an emotional walk up to a garden. But can I tell you something? It was also, uh, I think John is pointing out, that it was a planned walk to the garden. Okay, watch this. For there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Uh, Luke, by the way, points this out. Luke says, every day this week, Jesus was in that garden with his disciples. A question for you. Like, if you know what's going to happen, like, like, if you know that you're going to be chained, whipped, taken, spit on, crucified, like, wh- why would you go there? Like, isn't that the last place in the world that you, you would possibly go? The place where everybody knows you've been? The place where you've been last six nights in a row? Point, this was not Jesus' I think media screws us up all the time, kind of the, this, this victim running from the, from the fate to the Roman government. No, no, this is a sovereign God that knows exactly what he's doing. This is a Savior saying, I am headed through my garden, right, through the trial, to my cross, to my tomb, I know what I'm doing, game on, bring us to the garden. First group of people takes a walk to the garden. There's a second group of people, though, that took a walk to the garden. Did you catch that? So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers, also went to the garden. Okay, so um, a large group of soldiers, chief priests and Pharisees, are headed to the garden and question that, that... I asked this text, is how many soldiers are we talking about? And by the way, I think a lot of the Passion movies and Jesus movies and scenes kind of miss this because what this literally says here it says a band of soldiers, and the Greek word for band is the word for a cohort or a detachment of soldiers. Literally on paper, that equals a thousand soldiers. Dig into ancient world documents, and that actually very literally, it's 670 infantry, 230 cavalry. A thousand soldiers. And some scholars kind of debate back and forth like, could there have really been a thousand, or is he just kind of exaggerating? But even in the Matthew scene, by the way, Matthew describes this, and it says that Jesus stepped forward and talked to the crowds, plural. Like he's talking to a great big crowd. You, want to, you know I think? I think it was a thousand soldiers. And you need to know that in the ancient world, a Roman soldier was a trained killer. All right. This was the Green Beret or the Navy SEAL or the Army Ranger of the day. I, like, don't picture a little, I don't know, mash person. You picture Rambo, okay? These were trained killers, trained to take over the world. And by the way, that's exactly what they were doing. And Judas, I think, was leading a thousand men. And chief priests and Pharisees, by the way, they hated Jesus and wanted Jesus dead. And just to to conjecture a little bit about how this went down, there would have had to be some kind of pre-battle like briefing session. Like a leader of a thousand soldiers was an individual who was called the Kiliarch. And I imagine, again, I don't know this, but here's what I imagine. I imagine there would have been a scene where he stands up in front of all the troops and he's like, men, tonight we have a mission of utmost importance. Okay, is it, is it, is it like a great warrior, a great army? No, actually, there's just one guy and his little band of followers well, well, is he armed? Is he a great warrior? Is he a great trained killer? actually, he's just—he's a carpenter from Nazareth. He's got little fishing buddies with him. Well, are they—are they, are they in a, a fortress? Is it, a, is it a, a fire? Actually, it's in a garden, fifteen minutes away. Like, I think they would have thought they were going to annihilate him. I think they would have thought this is the easiest mission we have ever done. And I think they went loud and proud and arrogant and strapped on their armor and lit up their torches and grabbed their lanterns and began marching the 15-minute walk to the garden. And have you ever been out in the woods in the middle of the night where it's pitch black and you can barely see anything, but all of a sudden in the distance you see a flicker of light? I want you to picture this garden scene because here's Jesus and his disciples and all of a sudden there's flicker, 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 flicker. Thousand torches, lanterns, chief priests, marching, clanking armor, marching to the garden. And I want you to see what Jesus did. I, there's so many parts of this that, that I just, my heart just loves Jesus more. I want you to see what he did. Look at verse four. I love this text. Look at verse four. Then Jesus... Knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Let me just even pause on that. Jesus, knowing all that would happen, like knowing what was about to go down, what did he do? He went out to meet them. All right? He knows he's going to be chained and beat up and spit on and crown of thorns and purple... And yet, in the presence of a thousand trained killers, I tell you something, Jesus didn't back down to anybody. He stepped up. It was as if he said, hey, do you want a piece of me? Because I'm right here. I'm not running. I'm not cowering. If you would please wipe away the stupid like, like American like media mindset of Jesus, the 120-pound weakling with the white toga, manicured fingernails, long feathered hair that looks like this effeminate soft little weakling. Wipe that away because here is the savior of the world stepping up to a thousand trained killers and saying, you want a piece of me? Because I'm right here. I'm not running. I'm right here. Amen? It's the kind of savior I will worship. That's the kind of king that he is. And if that scene lights your heart up, watch this. Verse 5. Verse four, end of verse 4. Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Verse 6, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Amazing. Um, Jesus said a sentence and a thousand Rambo-like killers hit the dirt. Now, I'm a football coach, all right? I coach youth football. So I spend a lot of time uh, teaching, uh, like, fourth graders how to block and how to wrap up and tackle with their heads up. And when I'm teaching my linemen, okay, my, my offensive linemen and my defensive linemen, um, we teach them that there's this one thing that can happen in a game that's like the crowning glory of any lineman, okay? It's called a pancake. Anybody know what that is? It's called a pancake. Okay, here, here's what it is. Ready? When you block your guy or hit your guy in such a way that he is knocked flat on his back, all right? Then you go, woohoo, that's a pancake play, all right? By the way, greatest living legend that ever was came out of this state. Uh, he was uh, 6'5, 300 pounds, played for Tennessee, Reggie White. Anybody know that name? Reggie White. He was a living beast of a pancake machine, and he loved Jesus, but he would eat quarterbacks, and he, with one arm, would smack people on the ground left and right. He had the power in one arm to pancake an individual in front of him. Look up at me, ready? That's nothing. That's nothing. 1,000 trained killers. Jesus steps up. Who do you want? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And a 1,000 soldiers are flat on their backs, pancaked because of one sentence? They're like, what in the world happened in the garden? That's my question in the morning. What in the world happened in the garden in that sentence that could knock a 1,000 people flat on their backs? That's the question I want to ask. And let me just dig into it a little bit. Let me just unpack it a little bit. Um, first of all, I just want to show you this phrase in Greek, okay? Uh, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, and literally in Greek, what he said was, ego, I me. Okay? Ego is the Greek word for I, um, I me is the Greek word for am. Okay, so you want, you want to know what he literally said? Who does he want? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. I am. What's so significant about him saying, I am? There was once this shepherd in Midian named Moses. Moses was out in the wilderness, and he looked out in the distance, and he saw a bush that was on fire, but the bush was not burning up. And he got closer to the bush, and he's like, what in the world, what's going on? And he heard a voice from the bush say, Moses, you take off your sandals, man, you're on holy ground. And God was speaking from the bush, and God went on to say, Moses, I'm a God of freedom, my people are in bondage, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses looked back at God and said, hey, God, if, I ask, if they ask for your name, what should I say is your name? And God said, I am, which really clears things up, doesn't it? You tell them, I am who I am, and I am sent you I actually want to show you this. If you have your Bibles, flip back to Exodus chapter 3. Um, Exodus chapter 3, second book of the Bible. Incredibly important text. Exodus 3, 13 through 15. We have it on the screen as well. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And you need to know biblically that a name was a very big deal. A name wasn't just like a verbal sound. A name wasn't just like a cool word that you call somebody. A name was meant to be something that sort of captures the the essence and the core and the heart and the character of somebody. A name was a huge deal. Like like a, a name somehow implicated their very presence. A name was this amazing category. Kenan and I, we've, we've spent years trying to help name each other's kids, like name books, agonized, what do you think about this name? So, so I was like, if a name's a big deal, I don't, don't want to miss this. So let me, by the way, so we went, Caleb, the great, warrior of God who wholeheartedly followed God and, and, and Daniel the, the great righteous judge who, who followed the Lord and, and Hudson the great missionary who, who took the gospel to China and Jackson the great running back from the Auburn Tigers that broke every record Amen. thank you the most sacred beautiful incredible word in the entire Bible is the name of God. It's so profound, I don't even know if I can explain it. There's all these texts that sort of rattle my mind, like like Solomon built the temple for the name of God to dwell. What does that mean? Like he built the temple for his name? The name is meant to be one's character, one's presence. So let me explain to you. The name of God, and by the way, scholars just deliberate over this over the years. These are sort of three of the big ones, okay? If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. The name I am proclaims, don't miss this, the sovereignty of his name. Meaning he is a God that's not bound by time. He is a God that never had a beginning, never has an end. You and I, hey, we live in the present. we know the past, uh, we have no idea of the future. But God never had a beginning and he never has an ending. And therefore, even if we were to peer into heaven right now, we would see multitudes of angels and the song on their tongues is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Meaning he just knows. He knows all. And if you're taking notes, if I could get that first deal down in just two words, it would be, I know I am means I know, okay? He just knows all. Secondly, um, I am proclaims the power of his name, okay? Meaning he's the only being that is self-sufficient. He's the only being that doesn't need anything. He's the only being that is just all-powerful. Mary to the angel Gabriel. How can this be? Gabriel to Mary. Is anything impossible for God? His power. His power. So, so he is the only being in the world. If the first one would be, I know, the second phrase would be, I can. You just fill in the blank. I can. I am all powerful. And finally, and probably, probably most importantly, and probably most what we might miss this morning, I am is the loving, protective nature of his name. Yahweh. Yahweh means I care about you. I can do anything. I, I was, I am. I, the, I care about you. I love you. I, Isaiah, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I love you. Actually, um, Super smart Bible people say that the words that, that probably came um, out of the bush to Moses, um, if you're taking notes, this name Yahweh, it's actually, let me English transliterate it, it would be capital letter Y, capital letter H, capital letter W, capital letter H. And the way that it would come out would, would be like four breath strokes. Moses saying, hey, what is your name? wind spirit breath strokes. You want know to my name? I know, I can, I care. You tell Pharaoh, I know, I can, I care, sent you to him. You tell him that's my name. And many, many thousand years later, something happened that shook the world because Jesus showed up on planet earth and Jesus started teaching like nobody's ever taught before and loving like nobody's ever loved before and healing like nobody's ever healed before. He started, he started doing things and, and it would shake the world. But the greatest thing that Jesus did and what absolutely caused more division than anything else that Jesus did was the name that he claimed, all right? The name that he claimed. I want to just show you a couple scenes uh, from John that lead up into our garden scenes. Is everybody still with me? Let me just show you a couple little scenes. Watch this. I love every one of these. Okay? Uh, Mark 6, John 6. Um, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 people and he put his disciples in a boat and he went up on a mountain and when the disciples were in a boat, the waves and the wind came. And Mark 6 tells us literally in Greek, the waves were torturing them. And they were freaking out because they thought they were going to die. And then they started freaking out even more because they look out in the distance and there is this ghost-like person walking to them. It's like, ah, and ah, and then Jesus came a little bit closer and Jesus opens up his mouth, Mark 6, and says this, take heart, I am, don't be afraid, meaning, hey, hey, I know, I can, I care, that should quell your fear. And he stepped into the boat and it went whoosh, perfectly calm. You've been on a, like a lake in the middle of the night and it's just perfectly still. It went from torturing waves to perfectly still. And John, John talks about this scene too. I lo- Here's another overlooked miracle, ready? But he said to them, it is I, or I am, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately, watch this, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Have you ever seen that miracle? Like, here's how I think it went down. I I think I'm right on this. Jesus, big storm, I am, and we're here. Like, Like, that's a pretty cool miracle, isn't it? For any like moms with young kids, they're like, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we here? I mean, Jesus gets in the car and boom, we're here. Like, 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 immediately. Why? There's power in the name of Jesus. Don't miss this. Because Jesus has the name of God. Can I say that again? There's power in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus has the name of God. John chapter 8, Jesus and the Pharisees are in a classic dogfight. Again, Jesus loved everybody, didn't back down to anybody. And they were fighting back and forth. And here's what happens. Look at John chapter 8. Jesus was like, all those who keep my word will live forever. And they're like, what? Do you think you are greater than Abraham? And Jesus is like, "Uh uh-huh. They're like, you're not even 50 years old. You don't know Abraham. And Watch this. I'll just read it. I'm sorry. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out. Of the temple. Can I ask you a question? Um, What happened in the garden? What happened that, that a thousand trained killers and chief priests and Pharisees and all their armor and torches and weapons and went to chain up Jesus and asked, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nap, I am. What happened? And the very response of Jesus was the claim to his divinity. Jesus wanted to put the pause button on this little garden scene and say, by the way, like you think you're about to take me? You think you're about to annihilate me? You think you're about to chain me up and walk me away? You think you're in control? Let me just pause the moment and show you I am in control. You're coming to get ready? I am, face down. Now you can get back up and chain me. I know what I'm doing. I'm God. And I'm not running in fear. I'm not the victim of Rome. I'm the living king of the universe who is on a beeline for the cross. And I will pay with my blood to set my people free. Go ahead and chain me and take me away. But you're going to have to get up off of the ground because you've fallen on your faces before the God God. Remember, if I said that that I am meant meant I know, I can, I care. That should be seen in this scene. So so look back. Would you just look at verses 4 through 9 and see if you see those components? Watch this. Verse 4, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, I know, Verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said to them, I am he. Verse 6, when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I can, I'm all powerful. And even verse 7, so they asked him again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. Even in that moment, do you see how he just lovingly cared for his people? You see how he just said, hey, I care. And some of you know how the rest of the story goes. Remember Peter? Does classic Peter move, like whips out his sword, swings for a head, misses, cuts off an ear. Jesus is like, I care about you, Malchus. Question for you, you think Malchus' life was ever the same? he experienced the name of God. He saw a Savior that said, I know, I can, I care. You think the soldiers' lives were ever the same? They saw a God that said, I know, I can, I care, and I guarantee you, they walked back with a little less swagger. Can I try to get this text just out of the text and into our lives? Can we try to apply this? Um, Several years ago, I was doing a wedding. Uh, it was in Boston, and when I was done with this wedding, this, this guy came up to me, and he was visibly moved. He was shaken, and he, he had tears coming down his eyes, and he said, hey, my name is Gavin, and I need to talk to you. I was like, okay, Gavin, let's talk. Um, and he said, something about what you said just moved me. I just It just tore me up, and, and there's something else going on in my life, and maybe you can help me with it. I've got little kids, and... and it seems like every day, over and over and over again, we're watching this cartoon called The Prince of Egypt. Have you ever heard of it? I was like, yeah, I've heard of it. Um, he said, no, I don't believe. I'm an agnostic. Like, I don't know if any of what you're saying is real or not. But there's a scene that I just keep watching over and over in the movie. When, when a voice from the bush says, I am who I am, I break down in tears Can you help me with that? And I said, Gavin, I think I can. There's a God who knows and loves you and cares for you, and he's calling after you to be in a relationship with him. And I shared with him the gospel. And for some of you here, um, let me just push into you a little bit. Um, It's my prayer and the prayer of the Harvest Leadership that these two weeks would be a radical turning point in your life. We're rolling into Easter. We're rolling into the time where we are going to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And for some of you, look up at my face, I love you. For some of you, it's time you came alive. It's time you stopped playing this stupid church game. Maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you know all the stories. Maybe you've been doing the moral behavior, good thing, for a long time. And it is time that with your heart and your life and maybe even your old physical being that you would fall before the name of God and say, Jesus, I love you and I want to follow you. And the living king of the universe who was spiked to a cross and bled and died for you, just like Kenan said last week, will come running after you because he knows you, he loves you, and he cares for you. And it's time you give your life to Jesus. It's time. We're not playing a game. And as Kenan gets up two weeks from now and proclaims the resurrection and asks for people to give their lives to Jesus, stop wimping out and give your life to Christ. It's time. It's time. He's a God that can drop a thousand soldiers flat on their backs. What is your obstacle? Is it bigger than that? This is real. And we love you, and there's nothing like being in a relationship with Jesus who cares about moral behavior. Check the box, you're in church. We want you to know Christ. We want you to know his name. And I believe there's many people in this room. Ready? Second category. Ready? Many people in this room, all right? And here's my heart and my passion for you that in a way that is deeper and more real and more vibrant, that you would learn to treasure and know the name of God. For some of you, remember we said, I know, I can, I care. For some of you, let me press into I know. There's some of you and you got these great big question marks. Like, God, why this? And why is this happening? And Do I ever get a husband in my life? And and why this question mark that keeps revolving back and back and back? And why this relationship that seems severed? And, And you are battling God with all these big questions. Look at me. I think I'm here to tell you this morning the name of God, that he's a God that still looks you in your eyes and says, I know. Like, I know I wrote the story and I know where it's going, and I've planned your life, and I am going to get the most glory out of your story. And you need to lean into me and trust the God whose very name says, I know. For some of you, I know that's what he's saying to you. And for some of you, it's I can. Maybe you got the diagnosis that just seems like your life got put on pause forever, or maybe. You've been praying for this person in your family for years and, years and years and years and years and years, and there's no fruit. Or maybe you just have no idea what the future holds, and, you, and you've, you've kind of been trying to self-manage on your own. You've kind of resigned to be like, maybe I used to pray for this. I don't see anything happening. And I think I'm here to tell some of you this morning that he's a God that can. He's all-powerful. He doesn't always respond in our timing, but he can. And I don't even theologically get this, but he's saying, I'm a God who can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine, but I want you to ask me. And I want you to lean your heart and your life into the God who looks at you and says, I can. That's my name. For many of you, and I believe this might even be the most profound category here, you know that God loves you, like you know that theological category. You know that you're supposed to be in a relationship where you love God and He loves you. And yet, for some of you, it's maybe even difficult to believe that He likes you. That He just, he just cares deeply about you and He wants to walk with you, He wants to know you. He, he's a God that's just whispering throughout all the pages of Scripture I care about you. And can I, can I just look you in the eyes and tell you something? For some of you, you know this truth. He cares. Like, he, he, he cares about you. He loves you more than we can put to words. Amen. And for every person in this room, and I'm almost done, but for every person in this room, let me leave you with this picture. It comes all throughout the Bible, and I'm praying. I'm praying this for this church with all my heart. Ready? I don't want you to become just this, this, ah, just so much of the church. This is what I want for you. Ready? When Isaiah was in the presence of the Lord, it stirred his heart to worship. And he said, I'm in the presence of God, and he was face down before God. His heart was stirred up with his holy worship. When Ezekiel realized he was in the presence of the Lord, he fell face down before God, and his heart was stirred up in holy worship. When John on Patmos was in the presence of the Lord, his heart was stirred up. He fell down in holy worship. When a thousand soldiers in the garden one day heard the name of God, they fell down. And my prayer is that with your heart, and with your lives, and with your finances, and with your desires, and with every bit of your being that you would be a church that is not afraid to be face down before the one whose name is I Am. Oh, Jesus, would you do this in us? I lift up this church to you Jesus, this is your bride, this is your body, this is this holy temple of many different stones and you dwell in the middle of it and you are the groom and you are our king and you are our head and you are the one whose name is I am and I pray that your name would be upon this church. Put your name on us, God. stir us up with a deeper love for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.